Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for January 27th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, uh, exciting show tonight. Uh, about 20 minutes, we're going to welcome for the first time and hopefully not the last, the Kudzu Vine, Mr. Matt Tayabi. Um, and he'll talk about all kind of things about 2020, uh, Russia, uh, maybe even some of the stuff that's happened in, in recent days um, in, his, in his coverage the, of politics. But until then, we're going to talk about uh, a story that finally, hopefully, has a permanent or, or at least a longer-term conclusion, but at least a short-term conclusion every week since – you know, mid-December, we've been talking about the government shutdown. Finally, at the very end of the week, the government reopened. Um, Tim, how well, did the how did, what Monday, right? came up? What do you say? I, I thought it was reopening Monday. Well, I mean, they made the deal to reopen it. I, I apologize. Yeah. They they made the they made the agreement to reopen it, and then it'll reopen you know Monday. But business work. Um, Tim, why do you think this just happened so abruptly? Well, uh, it's like the old jokes going around. Trump wanted a wall, and and he ended up, you know, with a cave. Um, He Trump (laughs) caved in. He 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 was presented with some options Thursday night, my understanding, by Kushner and and Pence and some others. And the option he chose was the one you saw on television Friday. His other option was to declare an emergency and build the wall. He decided not to do that right now because they told him, well, you're going to be hung up in court forever with this thing if you go that way. Uh, and And his third option was to keep things as they were, and things were turning on him so quickly that he just, you know, he couldn't do that anymore. He was starting to see the stories himself about, like, the FBI not getting paid and still out there, and the Coast Guard. He saw that one, is my understanding. So he chose this option, which was, boy, he painted himself into a corner. And this is about the only option he had, don't you think? Well, if you want to do something for the good of the country, absolutely. Um, but but he seems to have, you know, put that uh, car in a, a death spiral for a while now. Uh, Catherine, one thing I did notice is on Monday, or I'm sorry, Friday morning, LaGuardia Airport pretty much just shut down operations at some point, and I'm sure a lot of airports were just about to follow suit. Do you kind of think maybe the airport closings were the straw that broke oh. the camel's back? Yeah, I was going to say, I think the main reason were the initials LGA <laughs> for LaGuardia Airport. Um, 
and I guess Philly was slowing down, and uh, there was another a couple other ones who were anticipating having to close or uh, at least you know slow the roll a lot. So yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it, and I would assume. I mean, I can't imagine that the airlines uh, lobbyists and presidents and CEOs weren't calling and saying, you know, we're lo- like Delta is losing millions and millions of dollars a week because has has been since this began. So uh, yeah, I think that had a big a, a lot to do with it because uh, you know, especially since we're. You know, here in Atlanta, we're going into Super Bowl, and there's going to be a lot of travel. And we have some, some, you know, there's always weather concerns this time of year anyway. So there's just, there were, it was just a lot of things piling up that were going to be, um, we're going to really hurt the president and his, you know, the only thing he really cares about is his approval rating. So they're just plummeting. And uh, And then there's so many other things that are, that we've talked about every week about, you know, food safety and the SNAP program and the farmers and all that. But I think the airport really probably was the the one thing that sort of the straw that made him have to make a deal. Tim, you were about to say something. I have to say that, you know, anybody who's been, all the people who've been criticized, all the Democrats who've been criticizing Nancy Pelosi are looking at their shoes today. Because she was amazing <laughs> this week, absolutely amazing. Tim, don't you guys think? Absolutely, Tim. I think it. Uh, what what you had there was a very experienced political person showed their experience against somebody who had absolutely none. And there was another call Thursday to the White House. And it was from Mitch McConnell. You know, they had those two votes in Congress. And the Democratic plan had some Republican defectors in the Senate, six of them, including one of our senators in this state. So Who gave a really good speech about it. Yeah, they they had a big uh, lunch meeting that went on for a lot two and a half hours and, and some some of the senators some of the some of the hard line senators too are told Trump, you know, are, are told told McConnell, look, I, I can't hold this I can't hold the line anymore while I'm getting killed at home. And and I'm sure McConnell conveyed that to Trump that uh you know he's he's losing his own people and he he was gonna be standing there alone. I mean, you know, the the handwriting was on the wall, even for somebody as blind as him. Uh, they they can call this a deal. I, I I think they're being a rather liberal in their assessment uh, uh-huh. of, of this a, a, as a deal. I mean, he caved. That's it. He got nothing. The Democrats got exactly what they wanted, and no wall. Uh, public opinion, everything turned against him, as Catherine said. He's losing Republicans. Uh, and, you know, he was defeated legislatively for the first time, really. Uh, well, the the thing about it that's so tragic 
is that we're actually back at the same point we were before the clo- the shutdown. And all these people, these, you know, 800,000 people haven't been paid. They've been, you know, on pins and needles about all the, you know, all the financial um, problems that they're facing. And here we are, whatever, five weeks later, and we aren't anywhere near, you know, we're in the same exact place. It's just ludicrous and so irresponsible for a president to uh, to, to do this to, to the federal workers. It's just horrifying. Every day is horrifying. Well, and then this gets into my next uh, worry point. This is about a three-week deal. I mean, this is – and we know from past things, this is – it's never like, you know, oh, we've got the budget passed for the next fiscal, the next two fiscal years. This is something that can keep coming up over and over again. And just today on Political Wire, they ask – or someone – because CBS News reported, they ask uh, White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, could this happen again? And he said, "Um, yeah. You know, and you can't – because you're reading it, you don't get the inflection, but I somehow get the idea it's like, uh, like unfortunately, it could. Donald Trump could do this again. And that's why I do worry about, you know, can we gloat too much? Can we spike the football too much, get too excited? Because while we can be happy politically that this game was won, there are people's lives that could get thrown back into the same turmoil for two weeks, three weeks, hopefully not over a month again. Um, but it could happen again because um, this is a very thin-skinned individual we're working with. Um, Catherine, do you think that uh, – is there anything Democrats can do to um, take their victory with grace to where um, it reduces the chances of this happening again? Well, I I mean, I, I don't think that – I mean, they can't agree to a wall. That would no, be no, ridiculous. But I mean, they can they can try to negotiate. You know, this like they're talking about like more technological um, advances for security uh, for border security. They're calling it like a smart wall or um, other things. But I mean, to me, the ball's in the president's court now. You know, he's got a. I mean, they've got a both feel both sides have to try to come up with some way to negotiate, but the Democrats won. So he, I mean, I think it's going to be tricky because he's such a um, volatile negotiator and changes his mind every day, every hour, every minute, it seems. Um, It's going to be hard to, you know, to negotiate or make a deal when you don't know if he's going to, agree to it ultimately. So it'll be interesting to see how it moves on from here because they've only got three weeks. I mean, they had however long, you know, years before this, before they, that, that where they couldn't come up with a deal. So it'll be interesting to see how um, important they think this is and how much everybody's willing to talk and try to work this through. Yes. Um, Tim, now let me ask you another question. On the other hand, there are, you know, super conservatives like Ann Coulter, I guess Rush Limbaugh hadn't taken the air. Uh, I guess Sean Hannity may have only been had a chance to take the air once. Those folks on the far right, they get on Trump when he does um, 
you know, not stand up for what they want, which the wall is one of their big issues. And Ann Coulter was on him right immediately on social media, was on him on Bill Maher and anywhere else she could, uh, you know, call him out. Um, how big a worry is that, that the government may shut down just because he faces pressure from them? Well, you know what? The government already shut down because he faced pressure from them, and he listened to them. Now, how did that work out for him? Uh, he he needs to realize one thing, David. Before, he has had a compliant Congress. He, he doesn't have that anymore. He has one house that is dead set against him, and in the other house, he is losing Republicans. He is not going to have any legislative support because they're not going to have the stomach for another shutdown over this wall that two-thirds of the American people don't want to start with. Uh, I think the main thing wrong over there in, in, in the White House is that uh, we've talked about this. To all the experienced people are gone. Uh, and these people really don't know exactly how to how to how to handle this. It, this this situation is exposed how ill prepared his staff is. He has no experienced hands. They are all gone. Uh, but the you know that is the sixty four thousand dollar question. What's going to happen in three weeks? Will he declare an emergency? Uh, as I mentioned before we went on the air, he is really in a corner. He, 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 you know what he shouldn't have done, guys? He should have never said to Chuck Schumer what he said on national right. TV. That one is going to follow him around. He's not going to be able to blame this on anybody. He owned it with his own words. Everybody saw it, and you know what? Even his face believed it. So what, what, what's he going to do? I, I, I would like to know, what can he do if they pass a clean bill with big majorities and send it over there to him? No idea. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really, is he going to then try to see that this is the new reality for him with divided government, or is he just going to try to think that, the, what got him elected and that style um, is going to be the way to either win re-election or, 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 you know, not govern, but I guess uh, use the bully pulpit. Uh, well, let's kind of transition to one more thing um, here in the early part of the show. And Friday, uh, the, you know, what pulls some boy calling Caven is not the only bad news for Donald Trump. One of his uh, most ardent and earliest backers, Roger Stone, um, was pretty much arraigned, arrested, um, everything based on activities that went on in the 2016 election. Um, Catherine, what are some of your thoughts on that? It was like amazing. You know, they raided his house pre-dawn, and they and and CNN was there to video, to uh, you know, uh, with cameras to watch the whole thing and. Uh, they arrested him in his pajamas, and, I mean, it was awesome. Um, the interesting thing I, I found was that um, this was the first uh, arrest that was that Mueller and his team did not give um, him the opportunity to turn himself in. I imagine 
I don't know if that was, it's probably a combination of just being frustrated with the, with uh, Stone's um, attitude, but also some fear that he might try to flee the country, I guess. Um, they asked him for his passports and he said, his passport and he said it was expired or something. I'm like, yeah, right. Your passport's expired. Anyway. Um, so uh, it was a, it was a, it was a good morning for me anyway. I enjoyed watching. I had a little shad and proud from watching it, but I'll, Tim, I'll let Tim um, talk about his, his, uh, post, um, his, uh, remarks or actions after his indictment. Yeah, Tim, your thoughts on Roger Stone's situation? Well, not not entirely unexpected. I mean, the guy was knee-deep in this stuff with WikiLeaks and bragged about it and uh, almost was daring the special Mm -hmm. counsel to, to do anything. Well, he... He called the bluff of the wrong fellas what he does, and, you know, he keeps changing his story. So lying to the feds is almost a given. I, 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 I still can't believe he actually threatened a witness and threatened the man's dog. I mean, uh, you know, in his world, he enjoyed being a bad guy. Uh but but this dude's off, guys. He still says Nixon's innocent. We we talked about Nixon's tattoo on his back. It, uh, he's going on all the news shows now and saying, quote, there's no evidence whatsoever to prove he's guilty of anything. Uh, you know, Bob Mueller, Bob Mueller's got this guy dead to rights uh, with the possibility of serving 45 years. What's going to be interesting is to see if he if he flips. Uh, he was talking on the show, yeah. news shows this morning like he might suddenly be willing to cooperate. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah, because um, he was pretty emboldened when he did that press conference. Um, and, you know, he's actually, I think he made some comments even before that he wouldn't be like others and he wouldn't turn on Donald Trump that he would, uh, you know, stand by him the whole way. Um, and, of course, he just is just a very different-looking individual, not really somebody that looks or behaves really like a lot of Donald Trump's base. Um, we didn't really get in talking about much of that, just the regular rank-and-file folks. Let's start out with that with, uh, you know, Roger Stone. Um, Catherine, any ideas how they're going to perceive an uh, individual like Roger Stone? Oh, who knows? Uh, <laughs> um, they'll probably like him because he's rich and he's, you know, and he's friends with Donald Trump. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who believe that he is the reason that Donald Trump is, is president. Uh, yeah, he was an early supporter. I, I don't know. I've never seen that much uh, political acumen out of him. He's been floating around for a while, um, but not really known as, I guess, a deep thinker in politics. Uh, Tim, your your impressions about how the, um, the what's left of the Trump base will uh, perceive a character like him? 
you know, I think they'll like his bloviating, his running his mouth. They seem to be uh, drawn to that sort. Uh, one of his favorite things to say is, I have always said uh, the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Now, isn't that an interesting way to look at things? In, in some sort of odd way, I think this guy may actually be enjoying uh, the spotlight right now as it is just the glare of it is turned right on him. I, I think he might actually be in some sort of quirky way enjoying it, and and I, I think the president's base will be right behind this guy. Yeah, he is kind of one of those individuals that seems to be the bridge between politics and the Anthony Scarmucci's and the Amorosa's mm-hmm. and just kind of that celebrity um, reality TV show world. Well, we want to transition mm-hmm. gears and uh, welcome our guest in uh, for the first time to the Kudzu Vine from Rolling Stone Magazine, uh, head political writer, Mr. Matt Tiabi. Matt, welcome, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, good to have you on. Um, well, obviously, Matt, I mean, anybody we have on that has their own Wikipedia page, um, <laughs> you really don't need to do a bio, but when I was kind of looking over it, I saw that you're known as the Mongolian Dennis Rodman. Now, is that more because I, I of was. your rebounding prowess, or is that that you have a special relationship with the North Korean leader? <laughs> uh, well, this was back in the 90s, so this uh, predated the North Korea thing. But it was, uh, uh, yeah, I was actually leading the league in rebounding in Mongolia, and I used to uh, I used to dye my hair and do all that stuff that he used to do. So that was back when I had hair. Oh, that's great. I, I thought that was interesting. And, of course, anybody that watches any basketball can appreciate anybody that gets compared to Dennis Rodman when it comes to rebounding, maybe not other life choices later <laughs> on, but certainly in the basketball realm. Um, yeah, well, let's, let's get, to the rebounding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get back into um, politics and you've, uh, you know, written just a myriad of stories, but one that I wanted to ask about right off was you had a story about um, electability and how it may not matter to the, um, you know, Democratic primary base. And it was funny, we started this conversation about getting you on the show a few weeks ago. And just in the past week, I saw Don Cheadle on The Daily Show, and he said he was going to be a one-issue voter who could beat Donald Trump. Now, <laughs> is, is what Don Cheadle said kind of um, just not where most people in the Democratic electorate are? Or where do you think, you know, most Democrats are going to be when it comes to who can actually beat Donald Trump? Or do they think anybody can? Well, I think the problem that I have with the, the term electability, and this this is, comes from my experience of covering presidential elections, this is going to be my fifth, um, it, it, it's an arbitrary term that is mostly decided by political aides and journalists. They sit around at cafes and on the road, and they talk about who they think the majority of Americans uh, would vote for. In reality, they're they're very often talking about who they themselves would prefer um, to to be the candidate. And for years and years and years, we heard that you know a person who was uh, anti-war would be unelectable, or um, you know had proposals for Medicare for all was unelectable. 
And I think we found out in 2016 very graphically on both sides uh, that voters and were very had very different ideas than what most of the pundits thought. You even saw the Washington Post talking about a thing they called pundititis, uh, where basically people who write about politics um, often misjudge where voters' heads are at. And I think the, that's that's the case now. And I think the electability is is just more and more fictional than than it has been in the past. Yes. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and of course, then there's who can do better in Iowa and then who can do better in later states um, as well. Uh, I want to ask about one candidate in particular because you are from Massachusetts and you've written a lot about um, one of your senators up there, uh, Elizabeth Warren. She just entered the race. Um, she really hired a, a great team of folks, but she did have the strange Instagram, um, I'm going to have a beer moment. Um, how yeah. do you think her chances are going to be? Well, it's it's difficult, and I mean, I, I hate to fall back on reporting cliches about who is going to do well and who isn't um, before you see how voters react to them on the trail. Uh, but one thing um, that I that I do observe from having watched a lot of presidential elections is that candidates. Who, are, who don't enjoy the process of campaigning, who don't love being out on the road, who don't love talking to people who are very reserved, uh, they tend not to do as well as the people who are very, very um, uh, you know, excitable about the process. People like Bill Clinton do well on, on the campaign trail. Elizabeth Warren, even in the Senate, has a reputation for uh, as someone who doesn't like to sort of stop and schmooze and talk to people, uh, doesn't have the best relationship with the media. Um, however, I think her politics are probably going to be more popular than people guess um, this time around. And we saw a little bit of that with the Sanders campaign last time. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how she does. Uh, she, she started very early, and she's, she's, she's trying to be a very energetic campaigner, and we'll, we'll see how that works out. All right. Well, I'm going to be fair to my co-host and pass it along to uh, first Catherine and then Tim for some more questions. Catherine? Hi, Matt. It's so great to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan. I read you a lot, and I I think you're really great, and I um, applaud your uh, courage and bravery. I want to ask you a a little bit of a weird question. A couple Mm -hmm. weeks ago, I was listening to NPR on my way to work, and – I heard the headline was about the decline in birth rate in the United States and how how that was going to have what the impact that that would have uh, on our future. And I was like, "Wow, uh, Matt Abbey was right," <laughs> because you had written that article in October about Russian birth rates and the concerns that Russia has about their declining birth rates. And I right. I, I, I am I I am scared to ask this question, but. You've spent, you spent quite a bit of time in Russia about, what, like 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Yeah, 20 years ago. But I was there for a long time. I was there for 10 years, 11 years. Yeah. So having, you know, observed Russia over a decade, a decade ago, what other, um, what other things do we have to fear <laughs> that um, might come our way that, that Russia is facing now or that they well, were facing then? We have a lot of things in common with Russia that um, that we don't like to think about. We're both huge uh, militarized countries, uh, superpowers. 
there were phenomena that were observed in Russia and the United States uh, long before they were seen in other countries. Uh, for instance, uh, I met a very famous um, psychoanalyst there, a guy named Alexander Bukhanovsky. If you've ever seen a movie called Citizen X, um, he's, uh, he's, he, there's a character played by Max von Sydow who, who has a real-life um, counterpart. And the United States and, and Russia actually had more serial killers than any other countries in the world proportionally, and they think that has something to do with the fact that we, we've been involved in more military action, that we have, we have more guns in our societies. Uh, but the Russian you know, declining birth rate issue um, has a lot to do with a sort of profound pessimism in the society. They're an ex-industrial uh, power that has seen a decline in their influence around the world. Um, and, uh, you know, the United States has some of the same issues. The uh, declining birth rate in the United States is unique in uh, Western societies. They don't really count Russia in that number. Um, and especially, you know, if you drive through the, you know, the former Rust Belt, you find all these hollowed out, formerly booming industrial towns that are just dead now. And um, that's where a lot of the voter discontent comes from, I think. Um, you saw it a lot last time around uh, when you visited those places. That's where Trump got so many votes. And I'm I'm very concerned about that because those are exactly the places that reporters don't like to go to, and we don't hear about in the news very much. But you know the 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 sort of pain and and pessimism and and gloom in these parts of the country are real and um and it's underreported, you know. So I worry about that definitely. And it's also um been a core um you know sort of like that's the the you know those are the communities that we they always talk about longing for right going back to the days of the you know small towns sure. and um and and we just don't see that anymore i mean here in georgia our rural communities are um are the you know the we're losing hospitals we're losing all you know all the manufacturing is pretty much gone so these i mean we see those cities all over georgia that are cities and towns that are you know, empty shelves of what shelves of what they used to be. I'm originally from Michigan, so I saw it in Detroit. Uh, you know, 20 years ago. I mean, I think they're making a comeback, but it's nothing like it was when I was a child in the 60s, um, when it was a booming town, booming city with, you know, shops all up and down the, the downtown streets, and you know, it was a fun place to go. It was where we went um, for the for a weekend and all that kind of thing. So. It is scary to see, and and um, I mean, I always wonder, like, what does it mean? What what happens ten years from now, fifteen years from now? Um, and I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, I, mean, um, I really I, that that piece that you wrote about um, about that decline in Russia was really interesting, and all your, all, I mean, I I really enjoy everything that you write. I just subscribe to the yeah. um, the the ones that you're releasing weekly i guess uh yeah 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 um and that big long piece on facebook was really made me mad and made me want to you know unsubscribe (laughs) from facebook but all my friends are there (laughs) anyway i'm gonna pass it to tim thank you so much for being on keep up the good work 
Oh, well, thank you. No, no, but the, the, just to follow up on what you're saying, Catherine, I mean, the, the you know, I, I've covered a congressional race this year in upstate New York. You know, it's just 100 miles from New York City, and there's only one place to have a baby in the entire congressional district. I mean, you have to drive 60 or 70 miles to, to find a doctor who will actually deliver a baby. And, and you know, and there are, there are places like this all over the country where, just as you talk about, there's oh, no hospitals. There, yeah. There, I mean, I'll say something that I don't say all the time when I'm on the show. I work at Planned Parenthood in, here in Atlanta. We cover um, three states, uh, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. We got the three mm-hmm. best states. Um, and in Georgia <laughs> – you have to tr- drive, you know, there are many counties. There's 159 counties in Georgia. There are many counties that do not have an OB-GYN or a hospital. And that is part of the reason that the maternal um, death rates are so high in the South is because there's no hospitals. There's no place Absolutely. for women to go after they've had a baby to get proper care and before while to get prenatal care. It's very, I mean, it's like a third world country. Our maternal mortality rates are, are, and, and I, I mean our, um, our, our um, infant mortality rates in this country are right up there with third world countries. I mean, it's yeah, horrifying. we're we're there with Slovenia and countries like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, what's so what's so frustrating about this, what you're talking about though, is that. The vast majority of people who cover politics in this country, you know, they live in Georgetown or the Upper West Side or Boston or L.A. And, you know, you don't you don't see this stuff there. And it's I think it's really like two different countries. And um, it's very frustrating because, um, you know, the the people who are responsible for sort of trying to make sense of what's going on politically are disconnected from how bad it is in so many different places. And that, that goes for the inner cities too, you know, and um, that's just frustrating. Yeah. Well, I think that that's one of the things, the thing that we're not talking about with this shutdown that I think is probably the, what has been the most shocking thing to me is the number of people in this country that are living paycheck to paycheck with, you know, good middle-class jobs. And no one's talking about that about the fact that these people missing one paycheck means they have to pick between their mortgage and their health care and their, you know, groceries. I mean, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about how, I mean, it's horrible and how, how awful it is and how badly we're treating them, but it's really kind of a, a shock. I mean, I, I mean, I've been in that position and not that long ago. Um, so it's, re- it's really kind of a, it should be a wake-up call. All of it, yeah, but, it really sh- it should but be. We're not really talking about that. You know, yeah, no, we anyway. it's it's not in the news, and and you know you, you talk to people, and they they talk about being one illness away from bankruptcy. If you know, if you look mm-hmm. at the statistics, half the country has you know basically either zero or negative net worth, um, and there's a small sliver of the country, like the upper twenty percent, that has has equity and you know the, the bottom 80 percent of the country is is fighting over about 10 percent of the remaining wealth so um it's it's um it's it's 
again, it's a, it's a total duopoly, and it's just frustrating that it's underrepresented in, in the press, um, I think. Okay, Tim, I'm sorry. I took a little more time. It's up. It's up. You're up. All right. Good evening, Matt, and thank you for being with Hi, us Tim. tonight. Thank uh, you. Since, since you were originally scheduled to be on the show, uh, I guess we can safely say a couple of eventful things have occurred up in Washington. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, there's been a lot of eventful days uh, since January 20th of 2017, but I, I got to ask, could a good case be made that this past Friday was absolutely the very worst day of the Trump presidency? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it was certainly not a good day in, ter- in terms of the reaction among his voters. And I, I actually make it a point to try to read um, all of the conservative media to look at the responses of his Twitter followers because um, I've been frustrated a lot over the last two years uh, by people saying, you know, that he's doing terrible politically when actually if you look at it, the polls show that he's really consolidated a lot of his support among Republicans. But last week was definitely a, a very bad day for his own voters, which is which is not typical of a lot of the things that people on the left would consider bad days for Donald Trump. But that was, that was a, a lot. They would definitely consider that a betrayal. Um, they thought that was weak of him. They thought that was caving to the media. And um, it, you know, that, that, that probably is politically as low a moment as he's had since the Charlottesville incident when he, when he did actually slip significantly in the polls with, um, among Republicans, uh, but he, he's climbed back since then. But this, this is going to put him right back down again. Mm-hmm. Now, now with this shutdown deal, are are we, for the first time, looking at a situation where his own party at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue is not going to stick with him uh, in in three weeks? I mean, it's so hard to say. The, it, clearly, the, the the problem that um, most of the Republicans have, um, virtually none of them, from what I understand, there's there's very few people who are in the Senate, for instance, who are have, um, you know, politically are are completely sympathetic with Donald Trump, but everybody's terrified of losing his voters. They're all afraid of going the way of Jeff Flake. Um, and being primaried by somebody uh, who is um, who is backed by Trump, and that's why you see people like Lindsey Graham, I think, uh, suddenly turning into you know Trump enthusiasts after being Trump critics. I think that's still going to be the case, you know, for a while. It, it, he still has control over um, enough Republican voters that they probably won't flip on him completely. But after what happened. Friday, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, it's hard, it's hard to see them, them completely disappearing in terms of supporting him. But, uh, but it, you know, he, he's definitely in a weaker position than he was a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Now I want to jump in a completely different direction for a moment <laughs> because of who you are, because. 
you're kind of unique among our guests in that you literally grew up in the media. Uh, your father <laughs> did, began yeah. his career, you know, during the Nixon presidency. Now, mm-hmm. now, like Trump, Nixon attacked the media as an enemy. But, of course, unlike Trump, Nixon did much of his attacking in secret with his enemies list and whatnot. So I'm going to ask you to, because of the unique perspective you have, ask you to compare Trump and Nixon's attacks on the media. <laughs> and my question is, is Donald Trump, succeeding in discrediting the media or Nixon? Uh, I would say he's, he's been more successful than Nixon has. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't there when I was a kid um, to, to watch how the, you know, the ordinary person reacted to what Nixon was doing. But as you said, he was doing it mostly in secret. Um, mm-hmm. And his hatred of the media, what it was, while it was probably just as intense, it wasn't nearly as public but I, I can tell you from, from covering Trump on the campaign trail, um, it's funny, in the beginning of his campaign, he, he didn't mention the media so much. And then as he traveled the country, he started to pick up on the fact that people, people in his crowd didn't like the reporters uh, who were usually you know, roped off and standing on a riser somewhere in the middle of the crowd. And he started to make us part of the act. You know what he would do is he would he would point to you know all the cameras and he would and he would say look at these bloodsuckers they 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 hate me they 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 all doubted me blah 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 and people would physically turn toward us and boo and hiss and sometimes throw stuff at us and I, I actually thought it was brilliant because what Trump was doing you know he's a billionaire from New York he's never had any interaction with ordinary people in his life probably but he was sort of making, turning us into the class enemy. And, you know, all of a sudden you have all these Ivy league journalists uh, standing behind the rope and we were like animals in a zoo that he was pointing at. And I think it was a very successful tactic to, to sort of create a common enemy. Um, And he, he relied on that more and more as the campaign went on. And now it's like central to his whole message. So, um, yeah, I think he has succeeded, and 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 also he he's changed our behavior. You know, you see the media has very much changed its posture since he he's become president, and you know people people really think that the the press is out to get him, and and that's been effective for him. You know, I don't know. Is that, mm-hmm. is that, do, do you do you agree? Or I, I, I mean, it's, it's a tough topic for for people in the press. I think. Yeah, uh, well, well, you know, a, a follow-up to that is, is, is to ask because, I mean, you, you are on the front lines of this. Do many in the national media consider that the president perhaps has strayed over into outright character assassination of me, members of the media? Oh, yeah. No, we, everybody's aware of that, um, but I think – I mean, there's just, there's a couple of things going on that are that are problems here. One is that even though he's assassinating the character of various journalists and calling us liars and um, you know impugning everybody's honesty and all of that, um, all of these news organizations are making a ton of money because of Trump. Trump gets great ratings, 
Um, CNN made a billion dollars in profit the first year of Trump's presidency. They uh, made more than that last year. Uh, so revenues were up about 50 to 60 percent in, in all the major cable news networks. So mm-hmm. as much as the reporters, um, you know, are offended by his behavior, they give him tons of airtime. And you'll, you start to see people like Jim Acosta, you know, sort of egging him on a little bit um, mm-hmm. and becoming part of the act. And um, I worry about that a lot because I think there's a financial incentive for reporters to kind of play along with what he's doing. And, and um, that's, that's been kind of a troubling thing to watch in, uh, in the last couple of years for sure. I want to ask you one more question, then I'm going to send it back to David. Do we have a center in this country now? Are there any moderates? (laughs) That's a great question, and I've written a bunch about this. And I, you know, I think I think the term center and centrist and moderate um, are very loaded words that you see a lot of in the op-ed pages, but. Um, politically, you don't need a lot of people who would self-describe as moderates out on the campaign trail. I think increasingly you see people who on the right are politically closer to, you know, Donald Trump's kind of politics, uh, conspiratorial, isolationist, uh, anti-immigrant. Uh, but on the, the same things, in a, there's a similar phenomenon going on in the Democratic side where uh, more and more voters are, are asked, you know, they're, they're more in the direction of wanting Medicare for all. They want free college tuition. They want um, things that would have been fringe positions 20 years ago. Like, you know, Dennis Kucinich got, what, 2% of the vote when he ran. But that mm-hmm. brand of politics does very well now. So I think you're right. I mean, that's a very astute observation. I think, I think that what – people in Washington think is the center is really a pretty small sliver of people um, who live in big cities on the coast and then out there everywhere else. Um, people are probably less moderate um, than they were 10, 15 years ago. That is an excellent assessment. I thank you for that. And with that, <laughs> I'll right. send it right back to David. David? Yes. Well, Matt, we thank you for being on tonight. But before you go, we obviously know folks can find you on Rolling Stone. Um, but on social media or anywhere else, where can they read your work? Yeah, I'm um, uh, at M. Taibbi uh, on Twitter. And I also I, I serialize books believe it or not, um, at taibi.substack.com. So I'm writing a book about um, basically about media coverage and about all the little tricks that uh, campaign reporters do. Uh, and that you can find that at uh, taibi.substack.com. Yeah. Well, if you're willing, maybe sometime in the future we can have you on to talk about the events of the day and also about Absolutely. your book. Sounds, Sounds great. great. I'm happy to. And I'm, <laughs> thanks for having me on after after uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, no problem. Oh, Glad to have you tonight. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you Take very much. Now. Thank you. Thanks, Bye-bye. Good night. All right, that was Matt Tiabi of Rolling Stone and uh, obviously of his own work and, and, and social media. He just gave out his Twitter handle, and I'm sure you can find other ways. Um, but great to have him on. 
And we kind of had one more topic. Go ahead, I highly Catherine. recommend that serial that serialized um, book that he was talking about on Substack. It's really good um, about media coverage. I've been I've read a couple of the of the um, of the version the episodes or whatever, and they're they're really quite good. Yes, when well, we do have him on again to talk about that, um, hopefully Tim and I will have done some catching up and reading. But we'll let you take the lead on that part of it then. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, um, let's go ahead and talk about that one more topic we wanted to get into, and it was about you know elections and what the people want. And in the past week, there's been more talk of independent candidates. Uh, Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks, is talked about the race. Um, I think we know that uh, Michael Bloomberg's looked at it. Uh, there's probably others, and I guess both of those individuals, uh, Schultz and um, Bloomberg, I guess, would come in the middle of whomever the Democratic nominee will likely be. I mean, I know there's a lot of names, but the preponderance of folks, where they would be, and where Donald Trump is. Um, I think those two individuals might be a lot closer to us than Donald Trump, but still they would be in the middle. So if this independent bid would be somewhere in the middle, folks that might be disaffected, um, Catherine, how do you think that would affect the political landscape? Well, first of all, I think if I'm if I remember correctly, Bloomberg said if he ran, he would run as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. I'm quite sure. Okay, um, yeah, I but think he did. in any event, um, I'm not crazy about independent candidates uh, in this political climate. I, normally, I you know I'm kind of open to it, but I think it would hurt the Democrats. Honestly, yeah. At least the ones we're talking about here, I agree with you on that. That now there could be an Evan McMullen type, somebody that was you know, a very disaffected Republican. But beyond that, it would definitely, I think, um, hurt uh, Democrats more or less. Tim, your assessment? Well. You know, politically, you know, it, it would depend on who it is, I guess. Uh, if it was somebody like Ralph Nader, for instance, that, that would kill us. Uh, if, if it's someone like Perot, maybe, or a Romney type, that might help us a little bit. But just personally, in 2020, I'd like to see uh, the two parties go at it. I'd like to see D's versus R's. Uh, that's because right now 57% of the voters say they will definitely vote against Trump. Well, I want them uh, united in that effort this year. I don't want the anti-Trump vote to be split up because anybody else jumps in the race with any strength. All it does in my book, no matter which end of the political spectrum they're on, it would stir up the pot and only serve to help Trump. I don't want to give him a chance to win again uh, with 46% of the vote or less. And and uh, I, I don't just want to win this next election either. I want the anti-Trump vote so united that I want him to be beaten so badly that it will discourage others like him, you know, from running again for a very long time. I, I really, really just want the two parties 
to to go at it uh, in 2020. What do you think, David? Yeah, I think that's probably the safer bet. I, I know you pulled out a, a poll number, like 57% of the people are pretty right. you know, solidly sure they're not going to vote for Donald Trump. Um, why take a chance to divide that up? Um, that, that seems like that would be pretty tricky, well, so you don't want to mess with that. let's break that down. Yeah, let's break that down. He got Go 46% of the vote. If he gets 43% of the vote, do you see any way electorally that he could win this race in a two-person race with 43% of the vote? Yeah, not under any kind of dynamic we see. Now, of course, you know, they will take whoever the Democratic nominee is, and they will, you know, do a hatchet job on them. And then some of those people that are, um, you know, really horrified, rightfully so, about what they see with Donald Trump will be, you know, scared of of the boogeyman that's created uh, from the Democratic nominee. And and a few of them will come home if you will but 57 you know that's a pretty tough number to to start out against you but there's something different this time donald trump will have a record as president to run on we've (laughs) talked about this and talked about this the only thing this this man has left that he could possibly run on would be the economy and if it goes is there anything he has left yeah, not not much because the base is not going to be into the um, criminal justice reform that much, and then um, the tax cut we know is um, you know the the wealthiest folks get the benefit of that. So those are the two you know accomplishments he can point to at this point. And you know I don't think we talked about this, but you know a lot of Republicans and Tim, you said you. Uh, you know, know a lot of them that would point to how wonderful the stock market's doing. From what I understand, uh-huh. this past quarter, the the final quarter of um, 2018, people's 401ks just took a hatchet job. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. regular folks were losing in the five-digit number off of a typical retirement account, um, and then people that have some real money in there. Uh, they may have lost a six-digit number. And, and so the stock market, while it had been up, really kind of um, dipped this past year. So that's not going to help Donald Trump either. Um, with that and this no. uh, shutdown doesn't help. The shutdown's not helping either. Oh, that, no. that means another bad quarter. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, uh, there's a good chance there'll be another bad quarter happening. Well, um, which, you, you mentioned something else. You mentioned something else. You talked about a favorite tactic of Donald Trump. And that is if he cannot raise his own uh, popularity numbers up, then his idea has to be to do what was done with Hillary Clinton to just savage the other person so badly that he drags their approval down to his level and therefore makes all things equal. Do you think there's any chance right now that he could repeat what he did in 2016 with that? It would be harder because, like you said, he people know that he's really not a functional political leader. I mean, let's forget a record. He just can't function in the job. 
per se. So he would really have to scare people to say that they're, you know, that that person is, is so dysfunctional that they would be worse, that he would then take that sliver that gets him to enough electoral votes. Because once again, he didn't win the majority of the popular vote. So he'd have to figure out how to, you know, win the Pennsylvanias and Michigans and Wisconsin's again, or win some other state he didn't win. Um, and then still hold places like Texas, Georgia, Florida, Arizona. Um, so it gets really tricky for him. Um, but the independent well, candidacy could be a problem if it's somebody with just enough fuel. Because, you know, there were other people, I don't like Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. I don't like either one. Well, if, you know, people play that game and, and that person gets in the high single digits, that could be a factor. Well, I want to jump in and ask okay. Catherine a question okay. because Catherine is, I would say, the, the most progressive among us three. We, <laughs> we, we just heard what Matt Taibbi said. He seemed to indicate that the Democratic nominee this year, or uh, this, uh, when they start running this year, are, should really point toward progressive issues that they are surefire winners. Do, do, do you think that's probably the case in this next election? I do. I think, you know, uh, addressing health care in some fashion, uh, Medicare for all or a Medicare option, um, and uh, jobs, infrastructure, um, some kind of realistic uh, examination and discussion about climate change and the environment. And I think those are issues that people and, and education and those are issues that I think people are going to be um, eager to hear about. Um, some kind of discussion about jobs, um, uh, income inequality, um, I think that this, like I said when we were talking with Tayabi, I think um, this, um, this, what we're learning now about how close to the bone people are living, I think uh, it should be a topic. Um, I'm not sure how we talk about it, but I mean, it is, it's been really shocking to me to learn the number of people in this uh in our country who are um you know just a paycheck or two away from losing their homes i mean i think that's a really scary um circumstance for anyone and for so many people to be in that position i think is um alarming so some kind mm -hmm. of discussion about that um but yeah i think i think that's i think people want to hear that i don't i think it has to be tempered in, um, you know, I don't think we can just say, you know, free tuition for everybody. I think we have to talk, and it's hard, you know, these, you know, sound bites are hard, but I think hopefully there'll be enough really smart message people who will be able to, you know, message on these things so that we can really understand how, as a country, we can progress and attack some of these very serious problems that we have. Uh, now, David, let me jump in with a question for you before we run out of time here, because you've worked in a lot of campaigns. 
talking about uh, all these issues and running on them is great, and it's great for the country. It's great for the voters. It's great for everybody. But then we have an opponent like Donald Trump who obviously is going to want to talk about anything but that. So how do we balance that campaign so that it will be successful when we have an opponent like Donald Trump to deal with? Yeah, I mean, controlling the media narrative, you you can then release issues and have big speeches and whatnot, but then he's going to do things so erratically that he Mm -hmm. um, controls the thing. So I think if you could somehow get your, you know, your um, surrogate team to kind of be the ones that would, you know, react to whatever, you know, 3 a.m. Twitter and things like that. Maybe even take your vice presidential nominee when you get to that point, and th- at that point you um, utilize some of those folks to talk about that, and then keep the main top of the ticket on the agenda you want to be on. Um, so it's going to mm-hmm. have to be somebody that's pretty inspirational. And, and, you know, we have multiple candidates that probably could fit that bill at this point. Yeah, It's just how they flesh out. But, I mean, they have to be somebody that um, – you know, people want to hear from and talk about it, and and two come to mind. I mean, they're the to me the the, the two front runners in um, this nomination process at this point. Um, I, I think they can rise above that and not get pulled down into the fray. I think Joe Biden sometimes. I really like Joe Biden, but I think at times he worries about you know talking about how he could fist fight Donald Trump. We don't really need to go there. We need to go to. This is the America we need to be on. Uh, let's start a new vision, kind of the uh, more like Barack Obama's 2008 campaign than some kind of um, pro wrestling combatant for Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, <laughs> that's where, really where we have to have our vision. Um, well, guys, we're right at time, um, but one quick note I wanted to make mention of, and Catherine, I'll let you say, I mean, if you can keep it super quick, uh, Nakima Williams, friend of the pod, multiple time guest. She became the chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia. Congratulations to her. Uh, Catherine, anything you know about that or any thoughts of the new vision? I was, well, I was there. <laughs> I voted for her. Um, well, yeah, congratulations to Nikema and the whole new executive team. The only uh, remaining person in the same position is Sarah Todd in the um, liaison to county chair's vice chair position. Um, we have some great new uh, leaders, very young group, which is, you know, nice. Um, it was a long day, as always, with the DPG elections, but um, all very friendly and uh, everyone was very cooperative. We had a little bit of a tussle at the end of the day over some bylaws rules, but we all worked it out and it was, uh, but, you know, it was eight hours. I was there, I think, seven or eight hours, so. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, congratulations to Nikema. I think she's going to do a great job, and she's got a great group of people helping her, and DeBose has promised that he will be around to, you know, help with, help her um, get her footing as uh, as the chair, though I don't need to think she'll need much help. But it was a great day for Democrats yesterday. Nice yeah, well, and hopefully we can get her on the show again, even in her oh, new I'm role sure in the near future. I'm yeah. sure we can. All right. Well, until next week, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody.
Hey, what you doing? Melissa. What you doing? Sitting with what? Oh. I will bring your phone. Icy Bear's right there up in you. <sighs> like you letting him drink coffee or something. He's all up there. He's funny. I'll be fine. I'm just, I was sitting cross-legged. That didn't help. Mm-mm-mm. You big bear. Quit sniffing. You old crazy man. What? That's fine. We had a good guess. You could. I'm sorry. What are you watching? Oh, I didn't even talk that much, by the way. I'm sure we got thicker walls than a lot of people, but we just put no, off plaster, but you know, we have what everybody else has. Yeah. I probably am. I've done a podcast, got to be heard.
What are you moaning and groaning about? Uh. <laughs> what is it? What it always is. Why is it always the same old thing with you? How's it been since he's been there? Okay. Okay, I'll take him. Let me tell you, just let him go out the back. I'll put his leash on. I'll put his leash on. No, that's Ginger. Can you throw some food in Ace's pan? I can. We'll be done with them. Some food, don't you? 
You just like food. Beth is hosting a Super Bowl party next Sunday. And I already thought, I was like, oh, crap, we got to do our show early anyway, because I guess he's a big sports fan, too, this Paulster. Mm-hmm. So. What do I go to? Google Calendar, I guess. I'll go to your website, and let's see what you got. I get to my website. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways. I know. I'm a little waffle. Go to websites. Find, find where your website is. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's more. Sock. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. 
Show me where the school's calendar is. I, I find the school's calendar and probably figure out how to do it. Oh, or can you find out a teacher that has it done right and I can figure it out quickly? Oh, well, maybe you have to find it out tomorrow and we no. can do it. It's like got to be done tomorrow. No, well. Not if it's some specific thing. Is there some email saying link to this calendar? Okay, no. Hot Rod couldn't do any of this. No. Not Well, who else would? But and if you see that nobody has it done right, then I wouldn't create an emergency. Yeah, check her. And if she doesn't have it done right, then I'd just like to be giving up on it. We just need to get rid of calendar. That's what she did. Yeah, I can get rid or of calendar. Schedule an event. That's what I need instead of the calendar. Schedule I can event. help you. That's what I need. Okay. You want me to help you? Mm-hmm. We'll get there. I can get you set up and you can type it in. Mm-hmm. I can set it up and you can type it in. Oh, uh-huh. okay. We got a web page. 
Yes, yeah, Scotty Webb page. Uh, I'm just gonna like I just wanna like change it and let you do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I mean I know what I need to do. I need to just change the tab up. And so instead of calling it calendar, I need to call it events. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Get rid of no, don't get rid of him. Events. And then we gotta get rid of this calendar, boom. And then what you're gonna do is let's double click it. Oh, you you don't want to have it in? There's your and then you see and then you have events. Just go to it. Yeah. Hey, I need to change events here too. I need to rename this page. Yeah. Okay. So if you want to just put like events, like your art show or something. Shows. Yeah. I think it'll be plenty fine. Both say events. I change both things. It's not my first rodeo on websites. I've made one or two. No, that's it's an events list.
You can hear him through here. Let's see. Um, Yeah, it auto saves. You just need to hit publish up top. And if you need me to do that, I can. another mandatory staff meeting for all certified staff this Wednesday. I know basketball and soccer coaches probably can't attend. Basically, me and Christina. (laughs) The other basketball coach is done. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I see, but what's he doing? It's like, he crazy. Who? Shut down. Well, I, if I went dead because of the, I mean, the power, it ran out of battery. But it auto saves. You probably got some good stuff going. Good. Hmm. No, I. He has no bathroom No. I think she does. He thinks he does. Um, Mark and I were talking about starters. Mercedes is going to start at four tomorrow. I don't know. Same thing to her. Don't same thing to her. I don't think she. Yeah, he went to TT. I don't think she thinks she's going to start though. He did a one. He did a long, long one. No, because they start barking at a dog. He is a number two. He is a crazy number two. She is just a big old moaner. Ginger stop. Hush. You got one. You know you got one.
Plug this one in so it can work. Yeah. For school. Did anybody do anything? They did. She paid me food. Well, let's get some treats, guys. Eat the treats. Eat the treats. Eat the treats. Look at that. Where'd you get those at? They're in that box. I know they're in that box. What treats are you on? Oh, my word. Did you see her run off like she stole something? She's so happy. Oh, I got it.
He drank something. <laughs> he did it to my beer. Went out there and tried to wash some plants from. We are 
there officially a round on question? No. Yeah. What archetypical terms, Doric, Iconic, and Corinthian, are types of what? Um, that, this we've is had that question columns. Question. No, and we've had on the State Car Desire report today. We, we, we're, we're all the way around the questions. Well, maybe they got no, I think we're all the way around. We, no. There's only that many questions. There's like hundreds or more. Yeah, we played this game all the time. Yeah. Not recently. Okay. There's no about a hundred. Because we only need like two cards a day. Okay. There's no other play that many times. We'll keep playing as long as I know we've seen that card. Okay. Or not our questions in this day. And we used to do less. We used to use more cards though. We've really gotten efficient on cards. By what regal name does a watchmaker refer to the winder on the rim of a rich watch? The crown. I just mean by the context of the word, not really. Beavers are known for their dam building abilities, but what are their homes called? Mm. Dinner, sir. Can you use all your 
Phoenix or Baldwin? Baldwin. I'm going to say Phoenix because I don't think it could have been Shane because Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. It is Phoenix. Yeah, River. I'm surprised he got nominated, but then River and Joaquin. Yes, in some language, what are you saying if you point to your eyes and place both hands over your heart? I love you. I'm better than that since it's all here and there. What was that? That is the last one. Oh, geography. Globe. Which U.S. site is dubbed the Long Sight Star? The Long Sight Site. Yeah. I don't know that one. Money. What is the more common name we know? Fabrica, Alitano, Torino. What is the more common name that we know? Fabrina, Italia, Automobilia, Torino. You can read it. It's all Italian. Torino's what's on me Okay. What do you think? What do you think? Yeah, you got to steal. Oh, you're not guessing anything? I'm going to say Ferrari. But if I you got to guess one of them, this is my question. Cool. And it is Fiat, which makes total sense because it's an acronym. Uh, now, Porsche is on the Porsche. It's on uh, music. Oh, here. She released the Dana. Owen the album under a real name, but is better known as what? Lady Gaga. Queen of Pizza. Okay. Small print. <clears throat> what is the upper, uppermost level of a forest called? Candy. Yeah. Yes, darn good knowing. Religions and traditions. Philosophically speaking, what does this term PC generally refer to. All right, give me some of seals. Have I used both my seals? Yeah. Sure have. You got the car went wrong and you stole something. Yeah. Yeah. PC, say it again. What does the, philosophically speaking, what does the uh, term PC generally refer to? Yeah. Something crap. Um, political correct. That's a politically correct. Um, okay. I that. That's like a tradition. Oh, I got. They're doing a whole. Uh, uh, art. They're doing a, the whole thing with CBS Sunday one. They're doing a big chunk of ten minutes of all the different art stuff, like samples of stuff they've done all throughout the four years. Okay. Ready for you. On Sun CBS Sunday morning. Who tore a photo of Pope John Paul II into pieces on Saturday Night Live? Sinead O'Connor. Mm. 
Towards the measurement unit for electric current comb. Yeah. You all answered. You all answered, Ginger. Okay. Uh, Ginger. By what common name do we know bovine, spongiform, and in, in sophopathy, yeah, you can have to read that one. That's terrible. That last word is something else. Oh, it's a um, moth, isn't it? Mad cow disease. Oh. Um, yeah, mad cow disease. How's that gender? People. I'll read it. What legal term describes a group of people who determine whether evidence warrants and in documents. Grand jury. Yeah. You four. And I'll bet less than five. Angry doggy. Okay, where's the fault to? Okay. He's a very
comedy Victor slash Victoria. Who plays Victor? Oh, oh, oh. Trick question. Julie Andrews. Um, I don't know if you know this. Because yeah, you dressed up on both characters. <laughs> That's a trick question. Trick question. Look at that one. Yeah. According to World War II, hyperbole, loose lips do what? Get shot. No. What? Thank you. Yeah. 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 Double Jeopardy. Music. Because I've done my Multiple Grammy winner Nora Jones is the daughter of what world famous guitar player? Guitar? <laughs> like the Indian thing? Yeah. I didn't mention I mean, I'd say like Quincy, but I'm pretty sure he's not a guitar player, so I'll say Quincy. Ravi Shankar. That sounds like Lobby Kiffrey, but that's not why he's French. He's gay. By what more common name are the chains of amino acids that we require on daily basis? Amino acids that we require on daily basis? No. Lobby Kiffrey. Have you noticed that this is us that have all music like they did with the first season? No. Mm -hmm. I haven't. They have Lobby Cipri on there. Okay. Purse. Purse. What artistic partnership produced iconic prints of winter scenes, horse races, ships, and portraits of people? McBride. Let me read it. Hey, crazy boy. Curry and eyes. Money. Money, 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 money. What popular business periodical is published using the motto the capitalist tool? Forbes. What was it? What is the reciprocal value of the number four? Mm-hmm. Art being art question, I know. I'm one on I need to What Greek word defines the wall that separates the stage from the auditorium and provides the art that frames it? Or the art that frames it? What? what Greek word defines the wall that separates the stage from the auditorium and provides the arch that finds it. Procesium. Let's think. Someone probably loses as well. Or if you don't get this right, I'll supposed to do another round. Why don't you hand him a card? You're not very nice. Mm. 
What country held its first Democratic election on June 30, 2005? What country held its first Democratic, Democratic election? Mm. It's tough because Cuba. Cuba. Is that right? I don't know. I was going to say China. It's Iraq. China. Good. It's uh, going mm. around, but this is the longest one yet. Four in or something. Four Yeah. I'll say that's it. Yeah. Um, 
mythical substance. Oh my goodness. 
All. Maybe you want to holler. Maybe I'm out in high enough. Thanks for peeling. Gotta give it up. 